Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which was rather extensive and continually being updated. Democrats want Republicans dead. Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Well, I'm delighted to welcome to the enemies list today, the great Scott Galloway. Scott is a brilliant podcaster, brilliant commentator, a guy who understands this economy and and our society better than a lot of people uh, with a really crisp sense of realism. And of course, he is Kara Swisher's better half in many, many, many of their ventures. That's Kara Swisher, yeah. (laughs) Right. Uh, but anyway, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the enemies list today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sincere about this, Rick. I, I worked out this morning. I'm going to Chiltern Firehouse, which is this kind of cool, edgy hotel tonight. I interviewed. I love that. I did a podcast with a senator today. Hands down. When I looked at my calendar, I'm like, OK, yeah, nice. And I'm like, oh, enemies. I'm like, this was the thing I was most <laughs> excited about. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. I really do. So listen, Scott, I want to jump in on this. And folks, this will be a podcast that's less political than we normally are, but I think more interesting in a way. Right off the bat, I want to ask you, politics is always driven underneath by a lot of economic and social changes. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the economics and social changes are driving our politics faster than anybody can keep up with it, either from leadership or legislation or anything else. Where do you see us headed and going right now in this moment? So I think to try and figure out the treatment, you have to diagnose the problem. And if I were to try and, you know, Jim Barksdale from Netscape always said, you know, Mm -hmm. always be clear to make sure that the main thing stays the main thing. And I think the main thing in the U.S., the ground zero for if you were to try and figure out what is the blast zone that's causing many or most of our problems, it would be the following stat. And that is for the first time in our nation's history, a 30-year-old man or woman isn't doing as well as his or her parents were at 30. And that is the ultimate compact any society has with its public. And that is if I work hard and I'm a good person, my son or daughter will do as well or better than me. And for the first time in 250 years, that's no longer the case. This year, 49% of 30-year-olds aren't making as much on an inflation-adjusted basis as their parents were at 30. That has never happened before. Now, what does that mean? It means they're more likely to live at home. And they're reminded every day of the shame and rage they feel. They're less likely to enter into a romantic relationship because despite what we would like to think, men who are not economically viable are less attractive to women. And there's less household formation. There's less population growth. I think a lot of men end up retreating from society and losing all hope and faith. Then you have a whole population of Americans who are, I think the system doesn't work, doesn't respect their institutions. The men become more prone to conspiracy theory. And we end up with nationalism and we end up in sort of a downward spiral of the nation. And What's most tragic about this is that if you look at the macro picture, 
our GDP growth is, if not remarkable, it's been consistent. Our stock markets have, on average, 10% a year for the last 10 years. No other G7 nation is close to that. And yet, the majority of Americans aren't participating in this. The way I would describe us, our economy is incredible prosperity, but it hasn't translated to progress for our society. So the cancer that's fueling the tumors that are, that are metastasizing all over our society is simple. Young people aren't doing as well as their parents. That sense of inequality and inequity in the economy is, it, it wasn't the cause of Trump and Trumpism, but it certainly was a driving force underneath a lot of these people. Even those who were doing well economically felt like somehow they were getting ripped off, the world was broken, the elites were always prospering, and they were always falling behind. I mean, and to a degree, they're not wrong. The inequities of that are are widening like by the month that CEO pay strikes you know, at the, when you find out that a line worker at GM is making 32 bucks an hour on average, you're not, you're not like, oh, this is a glittering economic picture for hardworking middle Americans. Yeah. And if, I mean, the, the stats are just overwhelming. The average 70 year old is 72% wealthier than he or she was 40 years ago. And the average person under the age of 40 is 24% less wealthy. Look at the primary means of sort of Wealth creation, because it's forced saving and psychic income, a house, right? That's what we do. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we stretch, we buy a house. It's tax advantaged, tax, it, it, you know, tax deductible, forced savings. It, it, kind of is, it kind of is a linchpin in committing to someone, monogamy, having kids. And the average age in 1980 of a, new, of a first time of a, of a home buyer was 29. Today, it's 47. I mean, it's just... The average home has gone up in price 12-fold. The average income has gone up six-fold. So housing is twice as expensive as it used to be. So there's there's tremendous um, just rage. And and the thing that's I find most upsetting about this is the incumbents and the entrenched will pretend that it's things like they'll blame it on amorphous demons like uh, networking effects or globalization. These were conscious decisions we've made. We've decided that someone like me should pay lower taxes, that older people who get their money from stocks and investments pay a much lower tax rate, and I get a tax deduction for owning a home. Who, who makes their money from current income and rents? Younger people. So these are conscious decisions to transfer money from younger generations to our generation. You know, you, you mentioned just now about how with, with people like unable to afford a home, unable to, to feel, feel fully invested and engaged in the economy, you end up with a lot of men and younger men as, as college has become more female and as, as women have been integrated into that well over the 50% mark. And it's close to, I think, 65% now of women or, or they, women to men in college. I mean, and you've written a lot and I, and I think it's a compelling set of questions. What should we be doing to help young men and boys actually not only channel all of their, uh, of their energies, but to feel empowered and productive in a, in an affirmative way in our society, because it's, it, we know it's broken. We know young men are in a, are in a broken situation. And my son is 27 years old. He was raised with a, you know, with everything he needed. Right. Um, but a lot of his friends, even their age, they're not accomplishing what what he and and some of the others have, and and it feels like we are sitting on a powder keg of this lost generation of young men. It's something I think a lot about. I've told fifteen year old boys, and the, the, I mean, there's a few things. The first is we have to, as a so society, recognize that 
empathy is not a zero-sum game. And that because we didn't want to openly talk about the problems men were facing, we didn't want to talk about the fact they're 12 times more likely to be incarcerated, four times more likely to kill themselves, three times more likely um, to be addicted, that these unfortunate voices filled the void, which made things worse. Because now anytime you bring up the notion of young men not doing well, people understandably have a gag reflex and think, oh, no, it's another thinly veiled misogynist. And so the conversation has finally turned productive. And I think people, especially I think the, the cohort that's moving the needle here is mothers who basically say, I have two daughters and a son. One daughter's at Penn. The other daughter's in PR at a firm in Chicago. And my son is in the basement vaping and playing video games. I mean, the, the numbers are just staggering. More single women own homes right now than men, which is great. Except if we're going to have an honest conversation around society, we have to have an honest conversation. And that is men are still seen as the economic provider. And women are not attracted to men who don't make as much money as them. The likelihood of divorce doubles when the woman starts making more money than the man. The man is three times more likely to need erectile dysfunction drugs when the woman starts making more money than the woman. So like we, I hope we get to a point where we're all very, very evolved around this issue, but men are less attractive to women. Women are getting taller and taller metaphorically. 50% of women say they won't date a man shorter than them. It's probably more like 80%. It's a weird thing to admit. And metaphorically, women are getting taller and taller every day, which is wonderful, and there's nothing we should do to stop that. But meanwhile, men are getting shorter and shorter. The reasons for it are biological. Men's prefrontal cortex matures later. They're now saying that men don't catch up to women from an executive function standpoint until their early 30s. It's societal. We hold men accountable. When we talk about the, the issues facing non-whites and women, we use terms. We talk about societal investment. We talk about the need. We talk about empathy. We talk about that th this issue warrants scrutiny, empathy, and investment. When we talk about men failing, we use words like accountability and pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. We know that all the terrorists in 9-11 were men, but what we don't want to talk about is all 340 firefighters who died rushing into those buildings were also all men. We don't, you know, oh, that, that's, we, whenever we talk about, you know, all men, you know, 90% of men are responsible for the murders. Men are violent. But what we don't talk about is that, for example, I just saw the stat that blew me away, Rick. Two minors, a, a, a girl and a boy, sexually abused. The boy is 10 times more likely to commit suicide later in life. And that's not to say that one is any, that one crime is less heinous than the other. But what we have found is that why boys are physically stronger, um, girls are emotionally and mentally stronger. And the, sing the singular point of failure, and I'll use this as a segue to solutions, if you could point to a singular point of failure, it's when a boy loses a male role model in his life, loses dad because dad abandons him, divorce, incarceration. 70% of men in prison had no male role model, literally none, not a coach, not a teacher. And so there's all sorts of things we can do. And that's the good news is we can there's a lot of solutions. Uh, the first is, and this is Richard Reeves' idea, red-shirting boys. The boys should start school a year later because a 17-year-old uh, boy is basically a 16-year-old girl. And so start them a year later. They mature later sexually, emotionally, mentally. Get more men, try and attract more men into the education field because it's natural that a, that a, a teacher is going to champion the person that reminds him or her of him or herself. And when we think about the role model that schools want from students, 
it's someone remember that that kid in the, the in high school or junior high school that had their notebook organized by color and distributed the the sure. learning the, the the study and was really organized showed up before school that's typically a girl and the attributes that come easier to girls are what we have trained uh, school teachers and the education system to embrace and reward. So we need more men. About 90%, there are more per capita female fighter pilots than there are male kindergarten teachers. And it's about 90-10 in primary school. And in high school, it's about 70-30. So, so more men. I think we need more opportunities for young people to meet, fall in love, establish romantic relationships. I'm a big fan of national service. I think we need more vocational programming. Remember, Rick, remember when we had high, were in high school, we had an auto shop, metal shop, and wood shop? Hell yeah. And guess Hell what? Yeah. Those guys, and it was it was mostly guys, but there was some there was some there were some girls. Sure. They went on to make decent livings as mechanics and they could walk onto a construction Steam site. Fitters, all, yeah. yeah. And guess what? Try anyone who's renovating a home knows that anyone who can knows anything about plumbing or electric makes six figures kind of year two or three. These are good jobs. And instead, we've created this gestalt in our society where if a kid doesn't go to Yale and end up at Google, you have failed as a parent and your son has failed. So we need more vocational programming and we need a tax policy, more opportunity, uh, a tax policy that helps that helps younger people afford to buy a house and have kids and establish bonds. And we need more economically and emotionally viable, not only young people, but especially more economically and emotionally viable young men. And then just to, just to bite the hand that feeds me, universities in general uh, should lose their tax-free status if they do not grow their freshman seats faster than population when they're sitting on endowments over a billion dollars. Because we have just, I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> we have decided in academia that we're not public servants, that we're Birkin bags. And we've instituted this artificial scarcity where Harvard that sits on $54 billion, billion dollars. decides they can't have a bigger freshman class than 1,500 kids. And so when I applied to UCLA, the admittance rate was 76%. This year, I think it's going to be 9%, which means they don't have the bandwidth to take chances on kids like I, – I don't know. Rick, were you remarkable? I wasn't at 17. I was uh, no, I, I was very smart, but I was disorganized. I was I was a I was a teenage guy. That's right. You were I, a boy. I was disorganized. I yeah, I was a boy. Yeah. I, I was very very smart, but it, that didn't mean I had great grades because I didn't. I tested well, and I got into you know I got into honors programs and whatnot. But but I was from a upper middle class family, you know, and and I had a speed bump in my early life. What you mentioned a minute ago about about male role models when you lose a parent. Uh, when I was 14, my dad was in a very, very severe car accident. He was hit by a drunk driver in and out of a coma for like three years. Took, I mean, never really fully recovered, but it like sucked this thing out of my life. But I was fortunate. I had uncles and cousins and his business partners and all these other people that became male role models for me during that period. And if you lose something like that, it is, it is, I think, devastating. But that idea that that boys get held to this standard now, I think it's gotten much worse than you – know, it was kind of expected when we were in high school. Like, guys are fuck-ups. They're going to do what they're going to do until they stop doing, you know, guy, young guy shit. But, yeah, it really is like a there, – there really is a uh, – that differential. But, I, yeah, again, I, I, I cared about things I cared about in school, and, and you know, it was like one of those A's and F's guys, you know. Let me just press pause there. I didn't know that about you, Rick. So your father was in and out of a coma from when you were from fourteen to seventeen. He was in a he was in a full coma for th for a year and two months, 
and then in and out of several induced comas because he had four brain surgeries and multiple other multiple I haven't really talked about it much multiple other surgery I mean he if this was Dungeons and Dragons his constitution is a 20 he was like the the toughest motherfucker you ever met in recovery so but yeah it, it shaped me a lot but I and I I look at that like if I had not had like literally his business partners and my uncles and everybody else like flooded the zone with male role models and support, which, you know, I don't wish it on anybody, but it was better than the other possibilities. Uh, first off, I'm very sorry. I can see you get emotional about it. But here's the thing. The biggest solution is that if we want better men in this world, we need to do what the men in your life did. They were better men. Yep. You know, and unfortunately, the Catholic Church and Michael Jackson have fucked it up for all of us. There are so many yeah. men out there. Yeah that have love to give and mm -hmm. are afraid to express concern for young men for fear they'll be suspected of something else. Sure. And sure. here's the thing. There are young men who need men in their lives everywhere. You don't mm -hmm. have to look very far. Your, your friend's son who won't listen to his parents, your nanny's son who is struggling and sitting at home and vaping. There are so many young men desperate for other men to get involved in their lives. And I've always thought I'm, I'm I think I'm thinking a lot about masculinity and how we form sort of a more modern form of it. I think the most the, the, the greatest expression of masculinity is to become irrationally passionate about the well-being of a child that isn't yours. I think that's when you say to mm -hmm. the world, I have my shit so together that I can not only take care of the people in my life, but I can get involved right. in in the well-being of another child that's struggling. I'm, I'm trying to do this right now. I have a cousin. I'm, I'm purchasing. I have a cousin who passed away from COVID and and then his wife committed suicide and the son, you know, is 11. Mm. And so we're all trying to rally Good around Lord. this kid and figure out figure out how we can get more involved in his life. But you saw this firsthand. You had all these wonderful men step into that void. Yep. And and did your, your father survive that? He did. And um you know, he and my mom just got back from spending like two months hiking in Alaska. Oh, that's wonderful. There's always been some overhang from the traumatic brain inju injury, but, um, you know, he is, he's 80 years old and still spry as can be and, you know, and tough as nails. And going to Alaska with his wife. They drove their gigantic land yacht uh, RV to Alaska and went hiking for a couple of months. God bless, you know. You're right, that, 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 that modeling in society that is disappearing, though, in some ways because – Kids like have grown up in the social media bubble now. I'm not trying to be like the the 60 year old fogey here, but I feel like the social media bubble is breaking kids in ways that are even more pernicious than than society is. You've been one of the leaders of basically calling out the big social media companies for the harm they cause to young women uh, when it comes to Insta and to young men as as well. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's odoo.com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. If you were President Galloway the first day of your administration, what happens to the social media companies that are that are playing these games? 
because they they de- they declaim any responsibility for any emotional or, or physical harm that they end up causing. Sure, you remove two thirty protection from any content that's elevated algorithmically because the moment. You know, their argument is we're just a bulletin board and we can't control what people put on the bulletin board. Right. But if you're... Yeah, people walk up and look. But if you're taking that bulletin board and finding the most controversial content, even if it's harmful to people, and you're making a million copies and then distributing across all other billboards, you're now a media company and you're responsible for that content. And if we started distributing content that, that increased the ad volume on this podcast and it was shown to have a direct relationship that resulted in suicidal ideation and self-harm, we would be in a lot of trouble. Because we're not protected by 230. So the first is removal of 230 protections for content that's algorithmically elevated. That's not to say the dissenter's voice isn't important. If you want to talk about anti-vax, fine. If you want to say the elections were stolen, fine. But you, they shouldn't be elevating that content because it, it polarizes us. They shouldn't be giving it more sunlight than it deserves. Two, antitrust. We just need to oxygenate the economy with with more great tech startups. The moment... YouTube is forced to spin from Google. Uh, they decide to start their own text-based search company, and then, and then Google decides to start their own video-based search company. And YouTube gets better at not radicalizing young men because P&G has more choices in terms of where they advertise and can force more ethical, common uh, standards. So, a breakup, a removal of Section Two Thirty, and then finally, I would age gate social media. I don't think there's any reason for any girl under the age of 16 to be on Instagram. I think Instagram begins from a place of perversion. I think an algorithm that encourages a 15-year-old girl to pose in provocative clothing and sexualize herself such that her peers and strange men all over the world can evaluate her is just perverted, full stop. And we age gate we age gate alcohol, the military, pornography, driving. Why on earth would we not age gate something that is shown to have a direct correlation with an increase in self-harm and suicidal ideation? So antitrust, age gating, and removal of Section 230 protections. So the big algorithmic monster, and you've also talked about this a lot, and, and it's something that I'm that I, I, I do not have it on on my devices. I have it on I've had it on one burner one time just to go and dive in, is TikTok. And you've talked a lot about how TikTok is essentially uh, an adjunct of Chinese uh, international, if not propaganda, then then persuasion. And why is TikTok so dangerous in your mind? Uh, and I, I agree with you on it. I just want people to hear, because I'm not as articulate at talking about how it's driving behavior as you've been. So first off, let me acknowledge it's amazing. And I think the people, the, the shareholders and the employees of TikTok deserve to be incredibly wealthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And let me, let me reverse it. Say that we had, we had, TikTok was American owned. And Kids in China were spending more time on, let's call it TikTok US, uh, than they were on all media, all other media combined, which is what's happening in the US. People under the age of 25 are now spending more time on TikTok than all streaming networks and traditional media combined. And the security apparatus in the United States had a much tighter relationship with tech companies, where basically they did whatever we wanted. There was no discussion around free speech or separation between state and private enterprise. Wouldn't we be stupid not to put our thumb on the scale of pro-American content and anti-Chinese content and raise a generation of Chinese civic, military, and nonprofit leaders that just felt a little bit shittier about China and a little bit better about America. I think that is happening every minute of every day in China. I think in, Amer- in America with TikTok, they have implanted 
a neural jack into the wet matter of American youth. And in my opinion, they would be stupid not to algorithmically elevate content that positions China in a positive light and depositions America in a negative light. They would just be stupid not to be doing this. So the question is, in an asymmetric relationship where they won't even let our media companies into the nation, should we let something this ascendant and this powerful run unfettered in the United States? It, it It's just insane to me. And the thing is, people our generation, the people making these decisions don't recognize this is the equivalent of the CCP owning NBC, ABC, CBS, Disney, Hulu, Amazon Prime. That is the amount of hours that young people are spending on TikTok. If those if all of those entities were owned by the CCP, would we be down with that? Thank you for getting to that so, so succinctly, because it is like, uh, I mean, I see it among my kids' generation and the generation before them now. The, the, there is an obsessive consumption of TikTok content um, at a speed and intensity and an hours per day. Look, if if, if you let me... If you give me an hour a day of someone's full attention, uh, you know I, I can I can I can change the world. You give me an hour a day of content that's driven a certain way, change the world. I mean, I'm lucky if I put out an ad, and uh, in a 60 second ad, I consider it a success. If you know a million people view 40 seconds of the ad, I think that's great. And in politics, that's a home run. But in TikTok, that's you know one high school's worth of kids in a day. It is remarkable how powerful the algorithmic lure works on that platform more than anything else I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's the only it's the most ascended tech tech platform in history. It's the fastest zero to a billion in history. And what's strange about it or unusual or different from the other platforms, the other platforms are public and they will inflate their numbers because they want their stock price to go up so they all get wealthier. TikTok sandbags their numbers. I think when the book is written and we get the data on TikTok, we're gonna find out. It's doing even better than than we know. And if my 13-year-old boy had his druthers, he would go into his room, put on diapers, sit on his side, and watch TikTok, <laughs> and not to even take bathroom breaks. And I got to be honest, I love TikTok. I could, I could every night take an edible, pop open a couple beers, and watch TikTok for a couple hours and just watch strange economists from all over the world talk about fascinating things with great graphics. And I would like it spun to U.S. US interests or U.S. investors or have their service hosted here because also I'd like to see the people there get really wealthy. I think it's an incredible service. I believe in capitalism. I actually believe in a, I believe in a, 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 a mutually beneficial economic relationship with China. I think one of the worst things that could happen to the world is that the two largest economies don't get along. The biggest tax cut in the history of the world would be if U.S. and China got along better. Mm -hmm. It's a great peanut butter and chocolate combination when we're getting along. But when we're not, it, it raises the prices of everything on everybody. So I, I would like to see a solution to this. But as it stands now, TikTok is a defense threat. And look at the rise of social media, look at the rise of TikTok, and look at how young people feel about America. There's an inverse correlation. That's exactly right. And I mean, I look, and we see the radicalization pipeline that has run through all the other excellent social media platforms. And now that, you know, Elon is turning Twitter into whatever the hell he's transforming it into, the radicalization pipeline for young men gives them a place to go and it gives them emotional support and excuses and reasons to, you know, 
direct those youthful passions and energies into some very bad shit. And, and, and with Elon, I think, I mean, I don't even, that's, that's like an unsolvable problem right now. You've got the richest man in the world who should be like doing the important things he should be doing, building an EV, you know, infrastructure. Awesome. Let's do it. Space. Let's do it. But like the degree to which he has he has turned Twitter in upside down. I mean, what's the, what the hell is broken in Elon's brain? This is this is a, a question I ponder a lot. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. It was so funny, Rick. I was about to say, like, what are your thoughts on Elon? I'm. It's hard for me to read the label from inside of the bottle. I am triggered by Elon Musk. Yeah, he's he's called me names, which isn't that big a deal on Twitter. But I, I find something one of the most disappointing things about. The, what I'll call the tech masters of the universe is that the most loyal Americans are the ones who've invested the most veterans. But what I don't get is the ones that shitpost America the most in terms of their power and what they say about America are the most fortunate. And that is if you look at a map and you go up the West coast and you start in San Diego and you see Qualcomm and you go to LA and you see snap and, and SpaceX and you keep going North and you get to meta and Salesforce and you keep going North and you get to Amazon and you get to, Microsoft, and then you hit the Canadian border, and it stops until you get to Vancouver, and there's one company, Lululemon, worth more than $10 billion. And then you go south of the border, and you don't hit another company worth over a billion or $10 billion until you get to Mercado Libre in Buenos Aires. And it's like none of these guys even acknowledge that maybe it has something to do with America, and maybe they should be a little less disparaging of America. As it relates to Elon a guy who spreads homophobic conspiracy theory, a guy who says blatantly anti-Semitic things, a guy who has 11 kids and isn't living with any of them. And I, I don't like to insult people on their personal. I've had personal failings. Sure. But 11 kids and, he's not, and none of them live with him. It's just, is this the role model we want for, men, for young men? And the thing that scares me about raising boys is, you know, masculinity, they think of Trump or Elon Musk or God forbid, even Putin. Joe Rogan. or Yeah, it's this sort yeah. of, and it comes back to, I mean, Musk to me is just a terrible role model for young men. And it's incredibly disappointing to me that these guys who are so blessed to be American, and, and people say he can't control himself. And like, Ask him about China. He's very measured and thoughtful. He doesn't shitpost oh, China. Oh, he's very careful about China. Mm -hmm. But in a nation where there's freedom of speech and it polarize and you get you know more likes and there's a certain group of people who've gone very red pill, he'll say very incendiary things about people. And, very, and, and it goes back to this masculinity thing. I think on the far right, they have conflated masculinity with cruelty. And on the far left, For sure. we've conflated masculinity with femininity. On the, if you ask people on the far left how to how, what's the role model for masculinity, they kind of don't have an answer, and they'll say act more like a woman, and and that's not productive either. That's not it. No, there, there's a weird culture inside the right for young men right now that does welcome them, and it it, it it merges with the whole video game stuff. It merges with with a lot of the you know junior shit posting behavior, and when when so when they see a guy like Elon or a guy like David Sachs or whoever. Um, cheerleading Russia or doing the anti-Semitic stuff. At first, it's like, ha ha, it's a joke. It's a prank. Look at the normies getting triggered. But then it becomes sort of their normative behavior, like their their regular behavioral set. I just think, I think that's where the, and look, there's no, there's no solution to Elon except Elon. He's going to either burn out or, or, or grow the fuck up maybe someday. But, you know, it, as uh, I, like I said, I see Twitter 
the the altered Twitter has now like become the alt right part two. They've really made a made a resurgence in and and there's no moderation. And he really it's like it's a strange exception because any other any publicly held company by now he'd be off the board. He'd be out the door in in thirty seconds with this kind of shit. But he's got a forty four billion dollar toy and he's going to run it into the ground. I guess. But that's a key point, and that is. Men, especially young men, need guardrails. And greatness is in the agency of others. And the corporate governance structure is that we have boards of directors that are supposed to be fiduciaries for not only shareholders, but for employees and for uh, the Commonwealth. And if you think about the guardrail set up in government, it's such that there's checks and balances everywhere. And I think one of the unfortunate manifestations or externalities of income inequality is that you can have one individual spent $44 billion on a company, which made no sense. He has no board of directors. He can call his coworkers sex criminals, and, it, and he can just sick hundreds of lawyers after them. He cannot pay them their severance that they're legally obligated to. I have friends at Twitter who are fired who can't even find someone to return their calls about their COBRA extension for their health insurance. And his attitude is, I have so many lawyers. I have so much money. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm sort of I'm bulletproof. It's the age-old adage, power corrupts. And should we have, and in a capitalist society, money equals power. And should we be in a situation where an individual can, can buy a $44 billion media company that's very influential and have no guardrails because he doesn't need them because he has so much fucking money? This is a postmodern problem. And, and a friend of mine recently went back. He was doing some research on a book about the antitrust movement in the turn of the last century in the, in the, the, between the 19th and 20th. And, and he, he, would hope, he had hoped to make like a compelling case that you could do a sweeping set of antitrust stuff with tech and, and, and a lot of the other vertically integrated companies in the, in the country. And he came away with it like, you know, there were, there are more lawyers per capita working for Meta right now. Then there were lawyers per capita in the country during the last antitrust roll-up in the uh, hundred years ago, or one hundred and twenty years ago. That you'll get lawyered to death on all these problems. We've been overrun. I mean, there are more. I mean, think of it this way: there are more people. The number of PR comms people that is, and I'm sure you hear from them. You know, do you want to hear? Do you want to hear the head of Instagram's vision for, you know, whatever? I, I get these calls all day long or I get. Oh, every, every day. Oh, for or sure. Or I'll hear the CEO of Uber's in town and wants to share his vision of technology with you. And the wonderful thing about, I don't consider myself a journalist and I'm not being, this isn't bravado. I'm like, there's no, I, I, I don't want to hang out with people who brighten up a room by leaving it. I have no desire to meet with these people. None whatsoever. And they say, and I'm worried that if I meet with them, this is what happens. They're likable. I'll meet them. I'll like them and I'll stop speaking my mind. And they say, well, you have an obligation with me. I don't have an, ob I don't have an, an obligation to meet with these folks, but you're dealing with the PR comms position has gone up sixfold. There's six times as many PR comms people over the last 20 years in big tech. That job has grown six X. The number of journalists in America over the last 30 years has been cut in half. So the ratio of bullshit spin to journalism has gone the wrong way, 12x. And it's even worse when you talk about lobbyists. There are more full-time lobbyists working just for Amazon living in Washington, D.C. than there are sitting U.S. senators. When I was talking to Senator Klobuchar and I expressed some frustration at how her antitrust legislation has not gone through, she's like, Scott, I got a staff of 60 people. I can maybe put a dozen, maybe two dozen on any one issue, including antitrust. She's like, 
Google can just Google can throw a hundred lawyers at this and muck it up. And their go-to is they pretend to be concerned. These are big problems. Regulate us. For God's sake, stop me before I kill before I kill again. And then wink wink, they deploy an army of super thoughtful, super intelligent, super credentialed, super connected, super well-informed uh, lobbyists who just basically say to a system that's based on getting reelected and being getting, and you know this, but you're going to forget more about this than I'm going to know. Getting reelected is directly correlated to how much money you raise. It's like, we like your, we like your vision for capitalism and think it should be free market, Senator. We would like to get involved in your campaign and be supportive. And how do you feel about this antitrust legislation? Well, I have some concerns. Boom, here's a hundred thousand. I mean, it's just something's got to change because it does feel like uh, DC has been uh, has really been overrun. It was always a lavishly corrupt city, and and when I was a young man, worked in the in the ancient Bush administration, Bush forty one administration. I worked for for the Defense Department. I worked for Dick Cheney when he was Secretary of Defense, and we used to deal with with defense contractors and lobbyists. And yeah, I was a young guy. But you could see sort of the, the they were always even then sort of like stepping carefully. They didn't want to cross certain ethical lines, and now they don't. It's just wide. It's the wild west. I mean, people are just like, "Hey, would your would your chief of staff like a job with us after this for four fifty a year?" And they they make it incredibly blunt now, and it's hard to overcome that. So, well, Scott Galloway, listen, I appreciate you coming on the enemies list today, brother. It has been a terrific conversation, as I as I had hoped, and I'm grateful for your wisdom, and I uh, look forward to having you back again soon, Rick. I, I mean this sincerely. I just love. Hanging and rolling with you. I, I find you to be courageous, uh, unafraid, and I realize that's redundant. And I just love I, – I, 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 I get the sense that you may get it wrong, but your heart's in the right place and you're always speaking what you think. So right on, brother. Thank you, my friend. I, I, that, that's a high compliment to me because uh, if I fuck up, I say so. And uh, I try not to be a different personality on social media or, or on TV than I really am in real life. I'm, I try to have very little delta in any of those things. I'm, I'm, I, am, I am who and what I am. There you go. So I appreciate you saying that. I really do. Thanks again, Rick. Thanks, Scott. All right, Democrats, get your shit together because you're on the enemies list this week. Why are you on the enemies list? It's because you can't get your asses on a single message. Get behind Joe Biden. For the love of God, I see these articles where Democratic officials are all out being quoted in the New York Times and Washington Post and everywhere else. Biden is too old. Biden is ancient. Biden is going to die. Guess what? He's old. He's older than fucking dirt. He is ancient. Okay, but here's the point. He's what you've got. He's the one man who's beaten Donald Trump. He's rolled Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy every day for two and a half years. Are you fucking kidding me? Republicans are eating this up. They're going to turn this into television ads. They're going to turn this into media. They're going to use every one of your indulgent, childish little temper tantrums about Biden's age against you. Get your shit together or you're going to be and stay on the enemies list. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. 
I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.